You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we give you thanks for allowing us to gather this morning uh, in worship and now in a time around your word. Lord, we thank you for the gift of children, uh, for all of our children represented here and those out in the world as well. We thank you for the continual hope you give us in Christ uh, to be parents and godparents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and friends. So, Lord, be with us now as we look to your words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, I'm so delighted to be with you. I, I love that this is a standing class uh, down here in the assembly hall, uh, Faith and Family. Uh, I've been given the task today. I'm Jay Gardner, by the way. I'm the new uh, uh, canon for pastoral care at the Advent. If I haven't met you, just so delighted uh, to be with you all. Uh, We're going to be looking today at the topic as uh, children or a child uh, as a gift. It seems sort of like a no-brainer, right? We all love children. And I won't speak and assume that everyone here is a parent, but I would imagine most of you are parents. That's why you're probably here. Uh, And on the face of it, yeah, we know it's a joyous thing to have a child, and yet living in this frantic, fast-paced, stressful world, um, I don't think we often appreciate the gifts given to us as much as we could, or perhaps, I hate using the word, but should. Can you all relate to that? I mean, you love your kids, and again, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands if you're a parent or not, but again, assuming most of you are. You love your kids, but you just find yourself in the hustle and bustle of life and not slowing down and appreciating uh, all that God has given you. Uh, I'm guilty as charged. Uh, in fact, I think I wrote a little adventure article my first week here or so uh, to that to that effect. And that's a continual sort of judgment on me. I'm thinking about my time and how I use it. But I've tried to make a habit here lately of holding my son in particular, who's four, and just looking at him and saying, William, you are a gift. You are a gift from God to me. You're the, you're the greatest thing that ever happened to me and your sister too. She's becoming at an age where she can start to understand, but he's at an age where he certainly can understand um, those words. At first, I told him that, you know, maybe, I don't know, 12 months ago, and he laughed because he thought gift is something you open with a bow on top, and he just thought it was funny. Like, Dad, I'm your, I'm your present. But I continually reify that message with him. William, you are a gift. You're not a burden, but you are a gift. And too often, I think children in this world are viewed as uh, burdens, uh, sometimes as mistakes. You, you hear that word from time to time. And definitely, just economically speaking, uh, they're not an asset. I mean, none of us are going to be rich because we had kids, more than likely, uh, unless your child becomes Tiger Woods or something like that. But of course, in the, in the ancient... We're looking today, by the way, at 1 Samuel. Uh, hey, y'all, come on in. 1 Samuel. Up, oh, see you, Dedrick. 1 uh, Samuel. And of course, uh, a common theme in the Old Testament uh, is childbearing, and uh, not just the gift of children, uh, but in some ways the, the duty, the obligation to, to be fruitful and to multiply. Of course, we see that in Genesis chapter 1. But time and time again, uh, a person's worth is attached to whether or not they are um, fruitful, whether or not they have children. So we'll talk about the modern-day implications of that in just a moment. But here we are in 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to to go there. If not, I'll kind of read and highlight a few of the places uh, that are pertinent. Um, But a theme here, we see a a woman uh, named Hannah. And Hannah is barren. She's not able to have children. And her husband, Elkanah, is married uh, to her and then um, another wife. Uh, Again, we could talk about the 21st century implications perhaps uh, but Hannah and uh, Penina, uh, Penina. And Penina has children. And Hannah has no children, the text says in verse 2. And so you can imagine from Hannah's perspective just the continual um, 
grief from that. I mean, let's acknowledge it for what it is. It's grief. Uh, but also to be constantly compared to Penina, to be constantly compared to uh, her counterpart, uh, her sister wife, and how she uh, she has children, but Hannah does not. So I'll, I'll pick up in verse 3. Uh, this is talking about uh, Elkanah. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. This is pretty funny. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. We'll stop there just for a moment. So a lot going on. Of course, uh, everything that I, I highlighted to you uh, about the two wives and one being barren, Hannah, and the other, Penina, being uh, fruitful. And you see, as they go to worship, uh, it's a common practice, of course, uh, the temple is not yet built, but they're going to the place of worship, the tent, and uh, it's expected that they would sacrifice. And so they do. The husband brings the best of his flock, and uh, of it, um, he gives Penina, his wife, some, but he gives Hannah a double portion. What a sweet measure. I mean, what a wonderful thing to do. But again, there's no consolation for not having a child. Now, I'm not going to look and assume, but I know uh, many of you in this room have experienced um, barrenness at time, one season or another, perhaps. Uh, perhaps a miscarriage. I mean, this is, um, this is earth-shattering. What Ben was talking about at 9 o'clock, our world crashing in. I mean, how much more tragic than the loss, the loss of a child, whether born already or still in the womb? or not conceived at all. I mean, you can imagine in some measure and relate to Hannah's grief. And so even in the midst of worship, um, worship's a great thing. We all love to come to church, but 
Worship itself is not going to change magically our mood, right? I mean, how many of you worshiped at 9 o'clock this morning? Now, you may feel a little uplifted, maybe feel a little better, but let's not uh, fool ourselves and think it fixes all of our problems just at the snap of a finger. That, unfortunately, is sort of the, the prosperity gospel teaching, that if you just worship God and you try, if you give, uh, if you give an earnest, uh, honest effort, uh, then God will bless you. That's certainly not uh, what we teach here at the Advent. And yet, here in this text, we do see God remembering and listening to Hannah's prayer. Now, again, that's not a prescription for you. That's not to say, pray for something and God will certainly give it to you. But it is, hopefully, uh, encouragement for us to, to pray in earnest and expect uh, that God will do great things. And as is the case for Hannah, he did, in fact, do a great thing. And so what should not have happened uh, biologically or uh, naturally speaking, God intervened. And now that is really the story of, uh, well, the Bible in general, that God intervenes. God steps in. That's, that's the whole, if you want to take the Bible and put it in a nutshell, it's that God intervenes. And of course, in the Old Testament here, we see on numerous occasions um, a child being born when it was impossible. Where else have we seen that in, in the Old Testament in particular? Sarah, is that what you said? Yeah, Abraham and Sarah. We see it again in that same family line. Uh, uh, Jacob's wife uh, later uh, at first cannot conceive. Um, Rachel and Leah, actually both of them. Then we go to the New Testament. We see a similar story as well, right, with Elizabeth. Uh, Mary's cousin. We see that she's barren, and she eventually bears John the Baptist. So child is gift. We see this, and so where I stopped, um, we see that Hannah is giving thanks, and she names she names her son Samuel, uh, and the word is kind of like Simon. It's the same root, which means to hear. I have asked for him from the Lord. Uh, God has heard me. God has heard my prayer. Now, interestingly enough, Hannah, before uh, giving birth, um, she promises. She says, Lord, if you just give me a son, I'll devote him to you. Now, again, a wonderful thing to say, a wonderful thing to, uh, to do. And I've been there in my life. Lord, if you just allow me to win this prize, I promise you I'll give you the money. Have you ever been there? I remember we had a football raffle when I was in high school, and I had put like, all my allowance money in to win this raffle. And I remember praying and saying, Lord, if I win, it was like $100. It was nothing. I said, Lord, if I win this $100, I promise you I'll give you half of it. <laughs> How ridiculous. Like God was like, ooh, this is a deal I can't miss out on. <laughs> but we do this, right? We, we, we sometimes couch our prayers in like piety, and it's a, it's a good thing on the face of it if we mean it, uh, but often we don't mean it. We move on and we forget about God. Well, Hannah has not moved on. Uh, she does, in fact, uh, lend, is what uh, some translations say, lend Samuel unto God. And of course, Samuel becomes a great prophet. But in the midst of our story here, uh, we see that she's turned. She's turned from grief uh, to joy. This is the promise of the psalmist, that he will wipe away every tear, uh, that uh, the, the tears that they uh, are, are sowing now will be reaped with songs of joy. That's a promise for all of us, irrespective of children, but particularly in this context uh, with regards to children and a child. So she goes on in chapter 2. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Uh, again, in the context of worship, they go back before the priest Eli. And if you're reading in chapter 2, I'm going to read Hannah's song. And this song might sound familiar to you if you've read uh, Luke before, the Gospel of Luke. So this is chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. 
Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. That's the end of her song. And then the final verse of this passage says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So you see the promise being made good there, uh, that the boy is uh, indeed given over to the Lord. But notice in her song, I mean, she doesn't talk a lot about herself. I mean, there's a passing line about uh, barren women uh, who will bear seven. But she talks about sort of this um, meta, if you will, this universal uh, bird's eye view of what God is doing. And again, the gist is God intervenes, but not only intervenes, but reverses, reverses the vexation of the world. And she's talking, again, on a cosmic scale, perhaps a, a socio-political national scale with Israel. And this song becomes Israel's kind of identity in many ways, uh, that God would come in and reverse all that has gone wrong. Now, I kind of gave it away, and I mentioned Luke. Where else have we seen this kind of prayer, this kind of song sung in Luke's gospel? Mary sings something remarkably similar uh, when Jesus is announced. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. In fact, here in a few weeks in the season of Advent, you'll hear us, we'll sing it uh, during worship. Uh, but my, my soul magnifies the Lord, the Magnificat, as it's called. And, and the same thing comes. God reverses the rich become poor, uh, they're sent empty away, and the poor are invited to come and eat. Uh, kings are thrown down, and the poor, uh, the weak, the lowly, the meek, uh, they're raised up. Now, this is good news, perhaps, uh, for us, but also could be, it could be bad news that God reverses, depending on where you uh, perceive that you stand in society. But I think theologically the point is we are all lowly. We are all meek. We are all at the bottom rung of the ladder. No matter our social standing in the world, uh, before God, uh, we have no standing except for by His grace uh, and by His mercy. All right, let's get back to the context of today's scope in this class. Child as gift. You see it clearly with Hannah, that her, her mood is lifted. She's eating again. Have you ever been so upset that you couldn't eat? I mean, some of us have been. I'm the opposite side of the spectrum. When I'm upset, I eat too much. Um, but some of us, uh, that's the way we grieve. We just simply can't eat healthily. We don't have a, a good relationship with food. And Hannah, uh, the first thing she, I mean, she goes back to eating. And she's praising God uh, in, in the midst of the, uh, the priest, if you will. So we know that's the right answer. You and I know that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to give thanks. We're supposed to be healthy and joyful and pursuing God while pursuing love in our family. But let's be honest. Like, does that work out 100% of the time? No. Just yesterday, I mean, it's cold. It's a little rainy. We're inside. Again, my son and daughter, who I consider gifts, I wanted to rip out every hair on my head. Um, you know, we do our little ritual. We get donuts on Saturday morning. We may watch a few cartoons, whatever. 
And eventually, usually we like to go on a hike or maybe go play some golf, do something like this. Well, yesterday, I mean, the weather was so crummy that we were inside and every toy in the house was on the floor somehow uh, in the living room. And I just wanted to, I wanted to scream at them. Like, you ever been there? I know you've been there. You've, you've wanted to scream. You probably said things in front of them that you, <laughs> you wish you could take back. Thank God that we confess our sins and he's faithful to forgive our sins, uh, especially as parents. But children are a gift. I mean, it is, I, I want to say it over and over and over again. I want to proclaim that to you. And I know it's a truism that might go in one ear and out the other. But I think we need to be reminded, your child, whether you have children or not, the children in your context, whether it be a niece or a nephew or a cousin or a neighbor, children are a gift. They are. Now, of course, in the Old Testament context, again, there was a duty, an obligation, a social uh, pressure even to have children. Why? Well, it's it's a command given by God. But also, I mean, most people are agrarian. They live on farms. They need farmhands. I mean, just pragmatically, uh, kids were, uh, for better or worse, ch- child labor. Uh, the laws weren't quite the same in uh, pre, um, pre-first century Israel. Um, but they're, they're brought to be an economic asset, right? And then, going to our context, you know, they're, they're not. Uh, they're not assets. In fact, they're, they're a liability. Uh, as they get older, I understand they get more expensive. Is that correct? For those of you who have teenagers or, or beyond, they get more expensive. And so why, why in this crazy world do we decide to still have children? If they're expensive and they keep us back from our dreams, as we're often told, you know, I can't travel anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Why do we have kids? Well, again, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. They are a gift from God. Simple as that. Full stop. Children are a gift from God. They're not a happy accident. Uh, they are God's fully known and loved uh, creation that he... Uh, for whatever reason, deigns to allow us to take care of them. Have you thought about that, that God deigned to allow you to take care of a human being? Uh, It's pretty remarkable. Uh, Lord, I'm not worthy. And yet, as Ben drew attention to in the sermon, God gives us the words to speak. And similarly, he equips us as parents or those who care for children uh, to take care of them. Now, I do want to talk about, and this class is, gosh, we're moving at light speed, almost done here. Um, I do want to talk for a moment about, uh, about barrenness uh, in the modern world because there, there are pressures still. Even though there's not an obligation from Scripture to still have children, check that, by the way. In the New Testament, there is no command to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, every time marriage is talked about, children is hardly mentioned. Marriage in the New Testament becomes uh, primarily, uh, of course, a reflection of, of, of God's love to the church, Christ's love uh, for the church. And so marriage becomes, if you want to call it, uh, a lowercase s sacrament, a reflection of God's love. And yes, uh, as we pray, uh, often is the case, we would have children in our marriages and our families. That's not always the case. And so we need to be careful for those of us who perhaps do child- have children, not to, like Penina, wave it in the face of those who can't. Um, there was someone on staff mentioned being at staff at another church years ago, and he or she, I won't give you their gender even, he or she mentioned that at their church, Mother's Day was like the biggest thing. Christmas was okay, whatever, Easter, but Mother's Day was the big one. And every mother in the room uh, was given flowers during worship. And this person raised it in staff meeting. Uh, he or she said, you know, what about all the people who can't have children or don't have children and perhaps uh, one day hope to or can't? And the people just shrugged her off and said, no, this is what we're doing. And while good to acknowledge motherhood or fatherhood for that matter, we do have to consider the implications of uh, sort of the counter effect. You know, we swing one way and we have to consider the others. 
Now, should we be quiet about children? No, I don't think we should just be hush-hush. But I do think we need to be mindful of uh, those who cannot or do not have children for whatever reason. But in the face of that, acknowledging perhaps their grief uh, or, or troubles, we need to acknowledge that we do, in fact, have a gift in children. We just baptized four of them last Sunday at 9 o'clock. Some of you may have been there and saw uh, Ace Herforth like rip my microphone off, which was uh, probably the most memorable baptism I've ever uh, conducted. Uh, and what, what a sign, too, by the way. This is in passing. He kept trying to block my hand, too. I don't know if you saw that. I was holding him. And he's, you know, he's a, he's a good, good-sized boy. Kept blocking, like, blocking me out, and I was, like, trying to dodge with the water and baptize him. But again, what a snapshot theologically of who we are. You know, we reject God's love. Maybe we try to sabotage all that He's given us, and yet His promise is still sure. He's coming to us, and He loves us despite ourselves. But in the context of that service, we acknowledge little babies can't confess uh, the faith. You know, we do it for them. And so everyone in the congregation, whether they have children or not, are called to make sure that this child is brought up in the faith, that they're taught the love of Jesus. And so again, whether you are a parent this morning or grandparent, uh, biologically speaking, uh, you are one theologically speaking. And you, uh, who are members of this church, you have special charge to make sure that our kids are raised in the faith. Child as gift. Again, I think we need to hear it over and over again in the church, in our communities, and most of all, in our families. And again, I think we need to tell our children that over and over again. You're not a mistake. You're not a burden. You're not a problem. You are a beloved child of God, and God has given me the gift uh, to be your parent. Now, I want to open it up for just a minute. I've introduced uh, a huge topic both with... Uh, <laughs> with uh, barrenness and having children. Let me say one more word and I'll open up for questions. Uh, Karl Barth, who was a 20th, 20th century theologian, Swiss, it's spelled Barth if you've ever seen it spelled, but it's pronounced Barth. He talked about having children in the context of being a Christian. He said before Christ, uh, Israel was called to have children in hopes that the Messiah would be born, in hopes that God would bring forth uh, the chosen one. Now, of course, God did it his own way. He chose to go through the Virgin Mary, not through natural means. But that was the hope, that the Messiah would come to be born. And so the question is, okay, the Messiah is born. Why in the world would we bring broken children, broken, uh, brokenness into uh, their life? Why would we bring a child into a broken world? Bart says this. He says, uh, after Christ uh, came and was born and was crucified and resurrected, we don't have children out of obligation, but out of hope. Out of hope that he has made the world right. And out of freedom, not out of oblig- obligation, but out of freedom to do so. So the freedom to have children, there's also freedom uh, to not have children. And we need to hold that, that freedom out uh, to the world. So Karl Barth, he's worth studying on this topic. He doesn't say a whole lot about parenthood, but I feel like that's such a powerful line. Before Christ, in hopes of having the Messiah come to be. After Christ, in hope and freedom that God is making things new. All right, I want to hear from you all for just a few moments. Do you have any comments or questions, uh, or things to teach me as a parent? I'm still pretty young in my parenthood. Um, anything strike you from Hannah's story? Absolutely. Lucky and blessed to have them. And, and again, that's not to say those who don't have children are not blessed. They are by God, but perhaps not in this manner. Consider Jesus for a moment. Jesus never married. Jesus never had children. And so we can't hold out being a parent as the only way, obviously. I mean, obviously. Um, and yeah, sort of the elephant in the room in the church often is infertility. Uh, we we kind of blush and don't want to talk about it, but it's a reality. It, it's, a, it's a harsh reality. 
Um, and then I'm not going to get on the rabbit trail to this morning of abortion, but of course this this leads into that discussion too. You know, what is a child uh, biologically speaking? And you and I agree, uh, based on Scripture, a child is a gift. And so I don't want to get into the political ramifications of that, but I do think we as Christians uh, can and should perhaps speak boldly of children being gift. I want to reify that term over and over again. Children are a gift. But thanks for saying that. And I think it's miscarriages and infertility. Uh, that's one thing. Consider, I mean, I was married at 22. I'm 33, almost 34 now. And we went a good eight years, seven years before having children, uh, mostly mostly by choice. Uh, and God knew the timing that he would bring children into our lives. But I remember the pressure at Thanksgiving and Christmas you know, when are y'all going to start thinking about having a baby? And, of course, we're both the firstborn, so we're the ones who bear that, that burden on, on some measure. But, again, I think we as parents and grandparents in the room, too, ought to be careful about that, not pressuring. Again, there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom. It's not duty or obligation to have children. And every one of us, if we have kids, we hope to one day have grandkids. I mean, I, I, won't, I love the idea of being an old man sitting in a chair watching my, my grandkids. But... Uh, we, we don't need to put undue obligation uh, on anybody, uh, and especially in the context of they can't have children. I think in many ways this opens up the door to talk about adoption. I don't think we have time to talk about that today, but adoption, whether you can have children or not, uh, this is something the church, too, this is part of our heritage. What does Paul say? We've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. This is part of the Christian story. That you and I, why, uh, we're not biologically children of God. That's sort of a silly thing to even think. But theologically, he's adopted us. And so it opens up the door to consider that as a Christian vocation as well. I know I keep giving you breadcrumbs for things to talk about at another, another time. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, the Lord, the Lord knew. Um, well, any other thoughts on Hannah or the, the theme at hand? Yeah, please. Yeah, I think, I, think there's a, I think there's a correlation there, perhaps not a causation between having children or not. And having faith or not, but I think in places you're talking about, in a post-industrialized world, as, as uh, nations and communities become more wealthy, the need to have children, um, again, an agrarian society ceases to be the case. You know, if you're living in an industrial or um, you know technological age, I'm not a sociologist, by the way. Um, I think I think it's more so follow the dollar. Uh, that's that's the common theme. And again, the loss of Christianity, the loss of faith, uh, again, in some ways, is following following wealth. Wealth is not the root of all evil, but the love of money certainly is, as we hear in the New Testament uh, from Paul. And so I think those kind of go hand in hand. Those people get preoccupied in um, industry, um, in in their work, which is not a bad thing. Um, and again, I'm not against women's liberation, but I think as women went back to work, went back to work, I'm not sure if that's how you say it, I think you, you probably see child rate, uh, child birth rates go down. Um, I think there's a lot to that question, but I, in short, I would think economics is really the main the main factor more than anything else. But yeah, I, I love what you said, though, bringing children into the world as sort of a witness uh, that God is love, that God is a parent, uh, that God loves his children. I think uh, just having children, whether you know it or not, it's a witness of God's creative activity. Go back to Genesis 1 and, and the creation of the world, but uh, his continual creativity. Uh, and bringing and bringing new life, not just human life, but all of life. So you and I as Christians have a special vocation in having children to draw attention to not just the gift, but the giver. Um, we can't talk about the gift without talking about the giver, uh, who is God himself.
And again, I think intellectually, intellectually we know it. We know children are a gift. We know we're supposed to think that. And then the reality on the ground is uh, they're often difficult. And they do, you know, I've, I went astray in many ways from my parents. Um, children are hard. And so in the context of, yeah, getting ready on Sunday morning for church, uh, we kind of need an extra dose of grace and a reminder that despite how hard this is, Lord, I give thanks for this <laughs> this little this little minion right now, uh, whoever he or she might be. Um, I have a friend, so he, I have a friend who kind of, turn away from Christianity because of what you're talking about, because parents who went to church and turned on a smile when they got there, but getting ready in the morning was hell. And the father who was a Christian man at, at church, you know, getting ready, get in the GD car, we're going to in church, you know, which we all have said, right? But for him, that was such a turnoff. Like he saw such a clear line from his father's behavior at home and his father's behavior at church. And so I think you and I could be honest and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not a great parent at times. But still saying, I love you, little gift, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever four word, four letter words you want to put in there. But again, again, to our children, and we're called to evangelize them first. We baptize them and braise them up as Christians, but we, our life is a witness. We're not going to get it right, uh, not just 100% of the time. We're not going to get it right 3% of the time. And so our hope ultimately is, uh, in coming to a place like church, and you don't have to come to church to, uh, to confess your sins, but what a place to do it. We confess our sins before God, saying, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm far from it. I'm not a perfect spouse. Lord, uh, forgive me. And that forgiving word, I hope, liberates us to go and indulge in our children, just as you mentioned. Not to spoil them, but to love them and to take advantage of the gift that God has given us. Well, thank you all. I've got to get going to 11 o'clock. Let us close in prayer, and uh, we'll be on our way. God, we give you thanks once again. We'll say it until we're blue in the face. We thank you for the gift of children. Whether we have them ourselves uh, or we just experience them in the community here, we thank you for the gift. Lord, empower us to be um, certainly not perfect, Lord, but uh, imperfect uh, parents who point to you, the perfect parent. Give us the words and the actions uh, and the ability to lead uh, all of your children unto you. Jesus says, do not hinder the children, but let them come to me, for unto them belong the kingdom of God. We offer all these things in Christ's mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.